Good afternoon. Good morning. Good to see everybody on this summer day. Hot and humid. I am glad you're here. And as they said earlier, you know, it's summertime and there's a lot of cool things. Just came out of the children's camp. We got student camp coming up. And then we have the great American baptism party. I hope you'll be a part of that. It's going to be uh, a really, really exciting summer. And today we're starting a brand new series called Subscribe. How many of you watch YouTube at least once a week? Let me see your hand. You watch something on YouTube once a week, all right? How many of you more than once a week? How many of you never watch it and have no idea what it is? You need to watch it. Troy Gramling, all right? Joy Gramlin. Here, the YouTube, it's interesting. They, this weekend, uh, video, what's it called? VidCon had its convention about YouTube. And I think last year they had almost 26,000 people show up for it. In Orlando, Bailey, our daughter, used to go watch all her YouTube people at what was called Playlist. And I think last year they had 12, 13,000 show up for it. And if you go to YouTube, there's a button that you click that says subscribe. And subscribe means that you are then going to receive content from that creation maker. Now, if you pull out that outline you got when you came in, as I was thinking about this series, I thought, well, what does the word subscribe mean? And I put down the definition from dictionary.com, okay? Here's what it says. To pledge as by signing an agreement. And if you look at the word, you can see the word scribe, which of course means to write. And then sub, which carries the idea of writing your signature at the bottom of a document. It says to give or pay a sum of money as a contribution, gift, or investment. And then the definition that maybe we're a little more accustomed to, I think it was number six, to agree or assent to. And I thought, well, what does, what's the origin of this word, subscribe? And if you go back to the 1540s, it says to give one's consent uh, or to contribute money to in the 1630s, become a regular buyer of a publication in 1711. Now, when you subscribe to a channel on YouTube, it demands nothing of you. You don't have to pay any money. You don't even have to watch their video. All it means is that you're going to receive their content. Now, I, I thought that was interesting when I looked at the origin of the word because today the word subscribe means to receive. But originally the word meant to give, to commit to. Now, we're going to spend the next seven weeks uh, talking about uh, subscribing. And what we're going to talk about, subscribe to what? Well, to our ethos here at Potential Church. The things in which we value. And it's my hope that at the end of this series, as you think about it in a global sense, but also think about it in a very practical sense, that you'll be able to sign your name, you might say, to, to those values or to that ethos. That you'll be able to say, you know what, that's something that I value. That's something that I want to be a part of. That's something I can commit to. And if you discover, you know what, those aren't things that I value, they aren't things that, that are important to me, then that you would be able to find a, a, a family or a community in, in which have the same ethos or values that you have. So that you can subscribe, so that you can engage, not just receive, but also give part of yourself. Now, the first value that I want us to talk about is the, the value of environment. We've been around potential very long. We talk about the environment, the environment in a global sense, but also the environment of this room or the environment of the lobby, um, our ethos environment. Now, let me give you my definition, okay? Here's, here's our definition. It, the value of environment is the stewardship of the conditions that surround you and your community. So it is the, an old English word, stewardship of the conditions that surround you and your community. It's also an understanding of the impact those conditions have on your success. So if you think about the environment of the universe, the environment in which we are at this moment, the environment of your family, those conditions, according to Scripture, have an impact upon your success. Now, 
Again, according to the Bible, you and I have an authority to take uh, control of our environment. Look what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over, so that's authority, the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. It's kind of creepy. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. New word here, subdue it and rule over it. Rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, several translations translate the words differently. Some say rule, some say reign, some say have dominion over. It's the idea of authority. God said, I created this world and I have given you authority over your environment. And with authority comes responsibility. It's not just that you and I have authority, but therefore, because we have authority, we also have responsibility. We are, and here's the old English word, stewards. We have stewardship for our environment, a responsibility. It's kind of like if I were to give you my home, and I were to say, I I want you to steward it. I am giving you the authority of, of my my home, with that authority of that environment, my house and my yard and whatever else was around, how, you, how responsible you are over what I've given you will have an impact on the relationship you have on me. In other words, if you don't take any responsibility for it, if you don't keep it up, if you don't, aren't careful about what you allow in, then that's going to impact. I'm going to see that as disloyal, dishonoring unkind, all those, all those different things. Well, the same thing is true when it comes to our environment. God has said, I want you to take authority. It's not something that happens to you. You and I are to, to, to take dominion over or to steward our environment. So what I want us to talk about is how do we create an environment that helps us succeed? Our environment has a lot to do with whether or not we succeed. And when I use the word success, here's what I mean. When I'm talking about success, I'm talking about your ability to reach your potential, to accomplish your destiny, to be everything God has created you to be as a husband, as a wife, as a dad, as a mom, as a a teenager, a college student, a business person in the area of your finances, in your health, in your relationships, in your walk with God. That's what I mean by success, accomplishing the dream or the destiny that God has put inside of your heart. Well, the environment that you have authority over has an impact on your ability to accomplish that or to be successful. Now, I want us to talk about a few of these areas, all right? And if you pull out the outline you got when you came in, here's the first one. The people that I do life with. The people that I do life with. The people that I allow into my environment. You have an environment. Your family has an environment. And you allow, you are responsible for the people that do life in that environment and they Im- because they impact us. It's kind of like, have you ever worn something because you saw somebody else wearing it? You're like, oh, that looks good. I'm going to wear that. Have you ever not worn something because you looked at somebody like, oh, my gosh, that looks terrible. I'm not going to wear that. It's, it's kind of like if you look around and you see, man, it seems like there's so many people with beards. When I grew up, nobody had a beard but Santa Claus. Now it seems like all these people have beards. Well, how, how does that happen? How is it just like poof? And then, you know, you go a decade where everybody's got... Now, I'm just jealous because I can't grow one. I only have to shave every other month. But how does that happen? How do, how do beard? It's because we have impact on one another. We allow people into our environment. They have a beard. It looks cool. And we're like, I'm going to have one of those because I, I desire that. It impacts us. Look what the scripture says, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says, do not be, what's the next word? Okay, when I see that, here's the first thing I always do. I always ask myself the question, why does the Bible have to say that? 
Why does the Bible have to say, now don't be deceived? Well, it's because I have a tendency to be deceived. This is an area in which you and I tend to be naive. If not, God wouldn't have had to say that. He wouldn't have to say, now don't be deceived. He could have just told us the truth. But he didn't just give us the truth. He started it by saying, don't be deceived. Don't do what you would normally do. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts or impacts good morals. What is he saying? He's saying you, have, you and I have tendency to believe that we're too mature to be impacted by the people around us. That I can allow people into my environment that may not, you know, have the best habits, that may not have the best attitudes, that, that may not, you know, be running after their own success, but it's not going to impact me. I'm mature. I know what my dream is. I know what my destiny is. I know what I'm called to do. I, I'm, I'm bigger than that. I'm stronger than that. And what does the scripture say? Don't be naive. Don't be deceived. If you and I want to succeed at our dream and at our destiny, if we want to be successful, he says, then you need to take, I need to take authority over my environment, which is the people that I'm doing life with. It goes on in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 14, it says, don't develop partnerships with those who are not followers of Jesus Christ. For what real connection can exist between righteousness and rebellion... How can light participate in darkness? Now, what's the principle here? The principle is, is don't do life with people who are going in different directions. Because as you follow your dream and they follow their dream, the distance between you is going to get, only get greater. And the greater it gets, the more tension there's going to be, the more misunderstanding there's going to be, the more arguments there's going to be, the more obstacles you're going to experience in accomplishing your success or your dream. Why? Because I'm way over here, and you know what I'm doing as someone who's doing life with you way over here? Come on. Come join me. Come over here. Right? That's, that, that's what relationally we do. And, if, and what the Scripture's saying, the principle is, is if you're doing life with somebody who's not going where you're going, they are going to continually tr be trying to pull you in the opposite direction. Now, the context in which this scripture is written is marriage. And if you've hung out here very long, you've heard me say on many occasions, I, I've, I've spoke to those of you who are here who don't believe there's a God. You know, you're, you're here because your, your, your girlfriend, your guy friend, or whoever wanted you to come and just to make them happy, you came. And, 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 and the reason I tell you, look, you do not want to marry if you don't believe in God or you're, you just don't trust that it's all real. You don't want to marry a Christ follower because if you do, you're going to be miserable. And the reason you're going to be miserable, because if they are a Christ follower, here's what the Bible teaches, is God the Spirit has taken up residence within their heart. And God is trying to get them to mature and to grow and to run after him. Now, you may be pulling them in the opposite direction. You may tell them, oh, you don't need to be, I mean, why are you so faithful to that church? Or why are you generous? Or you don't need, you're too busy. You don't need to be involved in that ministry. And you may even pull them away. But I promise you, if they are a Christ follower and they are not following Christ, they're going to be miserable. They may not be at church on Sunday, but they're going to be miserable. And guess what? If they're miserable, so are you going to be. Now, they may not be able to identify why they're miserable, depressed, discouraged, why they're angry, why they have a short temper. But it is impossible as a Christ follower to not follow Christ and be happy. And eventually, you know what's going to happen? God's going to grab their heart. And they're going to surrender to him, and they're going to follow after him, and they're going to actually begin to mature in their faith. They're going to commit to his house, to his bride. They're going to engage with their skills and gifts in ministry. They're even going to grow to the point to where they live a generous life and are actually giving of their resources and what is called an offering. Your money, your work really hard to give to a place that you don't believe in. You know what? You're not going to like that. And so that's what the scripture's saying. Don't marry them. Stop dating them. Get away from them because it is impossible to be happy in the future. And isn't that part of success? 
to have peace, to have joy, to really be able to engage in every day with a sense of expectation. And so the writer says, you have an environment, and you and I need to take authority or responsibility for that environment. Now, he lists specifically a few people. He says that we need to watch out for when it comes to our environment. First of all, gossips. He says in Proverbs 16, 28, a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Now, again, we need to remember. Remember what he said? Don't be naive. The tendency is to believe just because they're a gossip doesn't mean they're going to affect me. But you know what gossips do? They create sides. They create teams. This person on this side, that person on that side. And if they're gossiping about one of your friends, you know what else? They're gossiping about you. Right? Now, and gossip is negative. Like if, if, if I come and say, guess what? Johnny got the promotion. That's not gossip. That's a celebration, right? What's gossip? Guess what? Johnny got the promotion because he's sleeping with the boss. Right? That, that's, that's gossip because that's bringing someone else. So I feel better about myself. Now, we used to say, have you heard? We don't say that anymore. We say, have you seen on Instagram? Have you seen on Facebook? And what is the scripture saying? He's saying, you know what? If you allow gossips into your environment, <clears throat> they're going to create tension, disunity, and they're going to separate. There's going to be division. And you know, division makes it really difficult to be successful. Are companies that are at one another and talking about one another, do they tend to be successful? No. If you work at one of those companies where when you see two or three people in the corner talking, you immediately assume they're talking about you because anytime you've been in the corner with two or three people, somebody's talking about somebody, do you enjoy working at those kind of places? Do you enjoy being in those kind of families, in those kind of environments? No, it makes it difficult to succeed. And so God says, hey, I created you to win. I put inside you everything you need to accomplish the dream that I put inside of your heart. And I'm telling you, the, your environment is important. And whether it be the streams or the forest and the authority or the responsibility over those environments, the same thing is true when it comes to the people that we allow into our lives. So he talks about gossip, but then he also talks in the very next verse, verse 29, violent people mislead their companions, leading them down a harmful path. Violent. So don't allow violent people into your environment. Of course, we know that we don't want to allow people who, you know, punch and hurt and create some kind of physical violence. But, but I think there's also a violent person that may not be violent to you, but they're violent in their actions. They throw stuff. They break stuff. They hit stuff. I remember when I was playing golf in Arkansas years ago, <clears throat> I used to play quite often with a guy that I, I grew up with playing baseball. But when we would play golf, he would get mad and he'd throw his club. He'd take his club and he'd hit a tree with it. You know, and, and, and I noticed that the more I played with him, the more when I would hit a bad shot, which, which is just about every time, all right, is my, you know what I'd want to do? I'd want to throw my club. And I didn't have enough money to throw my club because then I couldn't get a new one. I, I'd, I'd want to hit the, you know, and I knew that if I ever did it once, I'd do it over and over again. I quit playing with him. Because this scripture says that if I allow people like that into my environment, doesn't mean they're horrible. It just means that what's it gonna, what does it say it's going to do? They're going to lead me down a harmful path. They're going to become an obstacle to what God has called and created me to do. But we're not just violent with our body. We're also violent with our words. We sometimes allow people into our environment who speak. And, and when they get angry, they use words that hurt. And I don't mean just angry. I mean the words are just cutting there are things that just ought not to be ever said. 
There are kind of things that even when they apologize, it, it, it takes a long time for those wounds to be healed. And rarely are they healed because before they can be healed, they're cutting at you again. Deep, hurtful words. The scripture says, take authority over your environment. It's not something that's happening to you. It's something you're allowing in. And the impact that it's having, he says, remember what he says, don't be, don't be naive. Don't be naive. These things have a way of keeping us from our success. And then he says, greedy people. The wisdom writer, 1527. Greed brings grief to the whole family. See, when you and I spend a lot of time around people who are greedy, you know what happens? We become greedy. If, if we spend a lot of time around people who are always talking about how much money they make in their business, they're always talking about the boat that they're going to buy or the house that they just purchased or just all the stuff, the tendency is for us to begin to talk about those very things, to begin to hunger and desire for those very things. We need to go on that kind of vacation or wear that kind of clothing or, or have that size house in order to fit in, in order to be part of. And what does the scripture say? It says that when we follow those kind of people, it brings grief to the whole family. And again, if you are grieving, if you are dealing with the, the, the frustration of selfishness, the, the dealing with debt, it makes it very difficult for us to succeed. I think he says it all in 2 Peter chapter 3. He says, you already know these things, dear friends, so be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. So I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You already know. But what he says is, be on guard. Don't be naive. Or you'll be carried away and you will lose your footing. And you know what happens when you lose your footing? You fall. How many of you have ever fell in your life? It's embarrassing and it's hurtful, isn't it? And it slows down your forward progress, doesn't it? So a few years ago, during the Thanksgiving season, we had a competition with one of the guys that used to play NFL football. And I lost my footing. Let me, let me show you what happened. We were having a little contest. We threw cranberry up there. And it was a little slicker than I thought that it was. Ah, he was nice enough to help me up, but I couldn't quite get up because the floor was so slick. Now, you know what? In slow motion as I was falling, you know what I thought all the way to the ground? I can catch myself. I can regain my balance. And isn't that what we tend to do? Right? We tend to think, I, 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 they, I'm mature enough. I'm strong enough. I'm not going to fall. That person is not going to keep me from my destiny. But that's not what the scripture says. Be a good steward. Take authority over your environment, the people you allow in. Secondly, the attitudes that I allow. What kind of attitude do you allow yourself to have? It's so easy to focus on the wrong things, wouldn't you say? The scripture says in Philippians 2, it says, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, which in the next verses is humility. And then he says in verse 14, Do everything without complaining and arguing. Can I have an amen? Right? I mean, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Do everything without complaining and arguing. You know what? I'm, we're going to read that together. I think it would be, because some of you screwed that up on your way to church today. Okay? Some of you screwed it up sitting in that chair that you're sitting in or watching on television. So here we go. We're going to read it together. Take a deep breath. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Do. Did you have somebody in mind as you were reading that? Just know this, they had you in mind at the same time, okay? Right? He, he tells us what? Our attitude has impact. And that our attitude, the attitude we invite into our environment is important. Because the attitude we have is expressed in the words that we say. And the scripture teaches us that our words have life and they have death. Look at what James says in chapter 3, verse 2. He says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. 
For if we could control our tongues, what does he mean? Our words, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. What is he saying? He's saying that if I can determine my words, my words direct my life. If I want to succeed, then I need to talk towards success. And what I say is going to come out of my heart. It's going to come out of my attitude. And if my attitude is negative and my attitude is discouraged and my attitude is one of defeat, then where is my life going to go according to Scripture? My, it's going to go to defeat. See, I'm not speaking defeat because I'm failing. I'm failing according to the Scripture because I'm speaking defeat. Because he goes on. Look what he says. He says, we can make a large horse go whatever way we, uh, we want with a small bit in its mouth. Small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. What does that mean? The wind is coming in in opposition of the direction the ship wants to go. But that little tiny rudder can overcome the wind and go in whatever direction the pilot wants it to go. So think about your life. You may look around and you may say, there are, there's lots of wind in opposition to my success. I didn't go to the right school, I don't have the right job, I didn't get the right degree, I don't have the right money, all of these different things. What is he saying? Is that when you and I invite the right attitudes into our life, there is no wind of opposition that can keep us from our success. That's how important our attitudes are. That's how important our environment is. It's so easy. I, I, I've been working on this. He... he, he, he asking myself these questions. So many times when someone says, well, how do you feel? How do you answer that question? How was your day? How do you answer that question? What kind of day will it be? I mean, do you get up in the morning when you know it's going to be a busy day, and are you prophesying success or defeat? Do you talk about how busy you're going to be and how tired you're going to be and what a pain that, that supervisor is and how horrible the traffic is and, and how the kids are never ready and, and just all of the, these things? You know what the scripture says? When you invite those words into your environment, those words are directing your life. Now, what if you were and I were to invite the other type of words into our life? What, what, what if we were to speak not discouragement and defeat, but we were to speak victory? What if we were to get up each day and say, I'm going to steer my life according to the scripture by inviting into my environment that I have control over? You have authority over. God gave it to you in Genesis chapter 1. Your boss doesn't have authority over your attitude. Your spouse doesn't have authority. Your kids, your parents, your neighbor, the president, nobody has authority over your attitude except for you. God said, take dominion. Have a rule. Be a steward of your environment. And sometimes I think we look around and we say, man, why can't I seem to succeed? And it's because you have a polluted environment. You have attitudes that are expressed in words that are just obstacles. Ephesians 2, uh, excuse me, Ephesians 4 says, Let the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, renew your thoughts and attitudes. Don't use foul or abusive language. You know, I, I think sometimes we allow our circumstances to be ex an excuse for our words. And, you know, you think about it, it's just sometimes we allow pain. If you hurt yourself and then you use some very colorful words, what do people normally do? We normally very quickly excuse our language with, that's just, that's not me. I'm just hurting. That hurt. Well, again, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that there are no words spoken from our mouth that haven't taken residence within our heart. See, that's who you are. It's just that you have been strong enough to hide who you are. And when pain or frustration or difficulty has come into your life, who you, 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 are, you lose that strength. And so who you and I really are then comes out. Now, I know some of you are arguing with me right now. Because you're sitting next to somebody who heard words come out of your mouth even on the way to this gathering that you would declare are not who you are. 
And my challenge to you is not to argue with me, but rather to take the expression of those words as an opportunity to come to the realization that that might be the reason you have so much struggle in succeeding. That that might be the obstacle, that God has used pain to reveal to us who we really are, what our environment really is. It's like the stream that's polluted way at the bottom, but on the top they put in some chemicals that make it look like it's good, but when you drink it, you get sick. Well, you and I often do that in our own lives. We hide who we really are. And as a result, we never actually succeed at the dream or destiny that we have because we just won't be honest enough to say, you know what, I have allowed into my environment pollution. I have allowed into my environment those things that make it more difficult for me to succeed. He says, don't let foul or abusive language. He says, let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now, I, I want you to see Numbers 14. If you were here last weekend, we talked a little bit about how God's people went into the promised land. Remember the story. Moses went and got them in Egypt. He took them to the Jordan River. Then he sent 12 spies to go into the promised land. The promised land represents in the scripture success, destiny, purpose. These 12 spies went in. They came back. Ten said, we cannot do this. There are giants in the land. Two of them said, we can do it. One of them was Joshua. The other was Caleb. Now look what the scripture says in verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different, what's the next word? A different attitude than the others have. He has remained loyal to me. So, because of his attitude, I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. Caleb said, I'm gonna, I want that mountain. The other, the, when the ten came back and said, we can't, Caleb saw the same giants. He saw the same obstacles. He saw the same struggles. But Caleb said... God has promised us that land. God is faithful to keep his promises. And I am not going to surrender to fear. Instead, let's go get what God said was ours. I will live my destiny and I will experience my purpose. He did not allow into his environment a negative attitude. And you know what the scripture says? You know what happened to the other ten and everybody else that was about that age? They wandered for 40 years. They never... They were never as successful as they could have been. They saw success, but they never entered into it. They never lived their destiny. They never accomplished their purpose. You know how frustrating that is to see what you could have been? To see the dream and the destiny, to watch others walk into what was yours? They never experienced. But Caleb, who saw the same giants, who experienced the same fear, but because of his attitude, the scripture says he went in to the promised land. He experienced his destiny. You realize how important your environment is? And how pollution allowed into our life, whether it be the people that we're doing life with or the attitudes. And then the last thing I'd share with you is to create this environment for success, it's dependent upon the beauty I integrate. The beauty I integrate. We're created with a hunger or a desire, a longing for beauty. We, we, we move towards beauty. We, we, we tend to be inspired by beauty. And that's not by accident. God created us that way. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 says, God has made everything beautiful for its own time. If you've ever read the first chapter of Genesis... God creates the world in the first six days. And after each day's creation, he steps back and he says, it is what? Anybody know? Good. He says, it is good. Now, that's a Hebrew word. The Old Testament's written in Hebrew. That same Hebrew word could be translated as beautiful. You could just as honestly translate that. And God said, it is beautiful. Now, the translation, the voice, translates it that way. Let me read it to you. It's in your outline. Then God surveyed everything that he had made, savoring its beauty and appreciating its goodness. 
Evening gave way to morning. That was day six. So the first five days, God steps back and he says, it is beautiful. On the sixth day, God steps back and he says, it is very beautiful. Now, there's a difference between pretty and beautiful. Beautiful is good and it is true. It's kind of like if you think about the model on the front of the Glamour magazine. Uh, She may be pretty, uh, but she's not beautiful. And the reason is because beauty is true. That model didn't look like that when she got up that morning. They've done a little work on that picture, maybe even a little work on her, all right, or him, depending on what kind of magazine that it is. doesn't mean that it's bad. It's pretty, but it's not deeper than that. it's It's not beautiful. It's like the cross. The cross is not pretty, but it is beautiful because it is true. Now, I want us to look at this beauty that we need to invite into our environment. Why? Because it is going to inspire. It's going to impassion. It's going to bring peace. It's going to bring joy. And here's going to be my question. is how intentional have you been about bringing beauty into your environment? Or have you been so busy going from point A to point B, running from here to there, that you really haven't thought about your environment? The gate's open and anybody that wants to come in comes in. And you really haven't thought about your your attitude. If you're frustrated, you show it. If you're mad, you show it. If you've been mistreated, you yell. And you sure hadn't spent the time to think about how do I invite beauty into my environment, into my family, into my world. Well, let's think about it. There is beauty, first of all, in creation, which is what we see. Psalms 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky displays his handiwork. Day after day, it speaks out. Night after night, it reveals his greatness. Right? I mean, even the atheist looks at a sunset and says, that's beautiful. There's something about a sunset or a sunrise or something about the stars in the sky at night. There's something about watching the clouds float by or the mountains in the background or one single flower springing up in the middle of uh, a big chunk of asphalt. Something beautiful about that. And when you and I take the time to invite that beauty into our environment, it has a way of inspiring It has a way of bringing peace. And whether it's flowers or whether it's what uh, gifts that God's given artists to take color and shape and put them together in such a way that when you look at that art, it inspires you. It quiets your heart. It it slows your your anxiety. It, It reminds you that there's something greater. There's something more than just the next email on your phone. So if we're going to be successful in the dream that's in our heart, then we have to be intentional about our environment. We have to be intentional about inviting this kind of beauty into that environment. And my question is, have you? What kind of beauty have you invited into your environment this week? What kind of pictures do you have on the wall? What kind of, uh, the great thing about technology is you can even go and look at some of the world's finest art. Or where have you gone to? And if you stepped outside at night and just looked at the stars or looked at that flower springing up through the concrete or the beauty and God's uh, creation of nature or this animal or some fine piece of art at some museum or if you've just been too busy and your environment hasn't had any of those things. But not only is there beauty in creation and what we see, but there's also beauty in music, what we hear. Psalm 150 says, praise him for his mighty works. Praise his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of the ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and harp. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with strings and flutes. Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Music, again, has a way of creating emotion and feelings in our lives. Have you heard, you know, Beethoven for babies? It's supposed to impact their minds and they're supposed to help them be better learners. There's actually now music therapy for certain illnesses. 
where they've discovered that certain types of music help the body heal itself uh, more effectively and in quicker ways. I mean, I, I don't play an instrument. I can't sing. And yet I am moved by music. I'm not talking about turning on the radio and vegging out. I'm not talking about escaping from your problems. I'm not talking about numbing yourself to what's going on in your environment. No, no. I'm talking about the intentionality of bringing into your environment, bringing into your world music, the beauty of, of the way that it fits together and the emotion that you experience, the passion that just comes within your heart, or the, the, the desire, the call to, to be greater, to do more. One of the channels I listen to on YouTube has a lot of different playlists, and some of them are, you know, here's music to be productive, and here's music to study, and here's music to relax, and here's uh, music to be creative. Do you slow down enough? I don't mean music in the background to cover up you know, the dogs or the kids or your other workmates or to make you to forget about working out. I'm talking about have you intentionally brought music, the beauty, to inspire you or to bring peace? Remember the story in the Old Testament of Saul who was king and David who played the harp? And the scripture says that Dave, uh, Saul would invite David to come and play his harp because it would bring peace to his heart. Maybe there's something to that. And maybe you've just been too busy. Maybe your environment lacks the beauty that God created to help you succeed. And you just haven't gotten around to it. And then there is the beauty of love. And love is what we feel. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice but rejoices whenever truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith and it's always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Have you invited the beauty of love into your environment? I mean, think about it. Kindness. Remember when someone showed you kindness, and have you intentionally, again, brought that beauty into your environment? Maybe it's a note that they wrote. Maybe it's a gift that they gave you. And maybe it's an email that they sent. But it's something that's there in front of you to remind you so that you can experience the beauty of their kindness. It, what they did, they had no reason to do other than love. And every time you think about what they did and the amount of time that it took for them to do that or the way in which they express that, what does it do? It inspires you. It brings joy to your heart. It gives you a confidence in, in what God's created once again. Or maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe you did something. Maybe it was intentionally. Maybe it wasn't. But here's one thing we all know. It hurt them. And the hurt that they felt was real. But rather than trying to get revenge upon you or to get you back, they forgave you. And in their forgiveness, they sent you a gift or they sent you a, a, a note or they left a voicemail or something. And every time you see that gift, every time you read that note, you are brought to a higher point. Why? Because you see the beauty of their love. You see the beauty of their willingness to give to you an experience that you don't deserve. Have you invited that in? You know, one of the things <clears throat> this year that I'm thinking about is a picture of maybe your spouse or a child, right? Again, even an atheist sees a picture of a baby and smiles. They don't know why. As a Christ follower, you know why. The Bible says that we are made in God's image, that all things were made by him, for him, and through him. But every time you look at that child, your love that you feel for that child, it doesn't matter what that child came into the world with. The world may look at that child and may see it <clears throat> as something that's not beautiful, some kind of disease or uh, uh, difficulty. I know Steph's sister <clears throat> has a, uh, Cade was born with Down syndrome. 
And it's amazing that every time someone looks at a picture of Cade or they see Cade or they're told something that Cade did, there's always a smile that comes to their face. And you can see within their eyes that they are remembering and experiencing the love that he so freely gives every time that you're around him. Every time he's invited into that environment, whether it be through a picture or in some other way, you know what he brings? He brings a peace. He brings a sense that there is more to life. As I said, one of the things that we've done this year is these little mugs, these Temple Centurion, you know, anybody that gives um, $99, we send one of these mugs to. It's not a gift. It's not a thank you even. It's a it's a, it's a, it's a remembrance. It's, it's something to bring into your environment. I, 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 Steph and I have one of these, and every time I go to get coffee, and that's a lot, I'm always I'm looking for this mug. And it's not because it's pretty to look at, although it's pretty to look at. The reason I always want this mug is because every time I take a drink, I am reminded of what it represents. I talked with one of the gentlemen that we partner with. Uh, we're a part of a partnership or a network with some pastors and business leaders from some of the largest um, churches in the world, and we hosted that a few years ago, some of you might remember. He was telling me that we were given um, by the Kurds in northern Iraq a large piece of land, and we have begun to build a clinic, a school, and the largest Christian church in Iraq on that piece of property. And so every time I, I take a drink of coffee from this cup, I am reminded, I am reminded about the impact that our relationship, our generosity is having on kids that I may never meet in an area that is, uh, I can't imagine the challenge they face. If you go to northern Iraq, the cities there are quite nice, but these are the refuge camps. This, this, this clinic and this school and this church are going to minister to the refugees who have flee, uh, flee away from ISIS, fearful of losing their life. Many of them are children whose mom and dads have lost their life, literally lost their head. And every time I look at this cup, I am reminded that I didn't just not do anything. I've done something about that. That love has called me to something greater, to something higher. And when I look, I am reminded of the beauty of that love and that I can be a part of something. I can do something. It gives me a peace and at the same time it calls me to something greater. It calls me to my potential. He also told me that they had a recent heat wave there in, uh, in Iraq, uh, in the area in which we're ministering, and um, several thousand people died because of the heat, and they're in these refugee camps, and, and uh, children, older people, they, they, they died. And so what we did is we were able to purchase some, not air conditioners, but these air movers that put water into the air. And as a result, in these dwellings, it lowers the temperature by 10 degrees. And he said that we were able to rescue or to help 48,200 families. All right? <clears throat> now, that's inspiring to me. That's impassionate. That brings passion to me. That's beautiful. That people like you and me, who may never go there, and we may never meet those people, but because of love, the beauty of love, we have sacrificed of our own things that we might have needed or desired so that they could experience life, so that they could have a church, so that they could go to a clinic. Have you intentionally brought those things into your life, into your environment? Again, it's so easy to get busy, isn't it? It's so easy to run from here and there. It's so easy to try to do so many things in order to succeed. When God has said, I want you to take authority over your environment so that you can succeed. Look at the last verse, Psalm 27.4. What does an environment of success look like? 
The psalmist says, I am pleading with the eternal for this one thing, my soul's desire, to live with him all the days of my life in the shadow of his temple, to behold his beauty and to ponder his ways in the company of his people. What does that mean? It means to be in right relationship with God and with people. That's what true success is, right relationship with with God and with people. What people am I bringing into my environment? What kind of attitude am I allowing into my environment? And what kind of beauty? One last thing. You know, earlier they came out here and they invited you to the baptism. You, You know why? Oh, of course, if you're here and you've not been obedient, you need to. But even if you have, you know why you need to be there? Not just for the ability to do life with one another. Why? It's because every time somebody goes into that water, what is that a picture of? That is a picture of a transformed life. That is a picture of someone who is going to spend eternity separated from God, who is now going to spend eternity with God. It's a picture of someone whose life, whose family, whose future is completely transformed. You know what that is? It's beautiful. It's beautiful to believe that this all-powerful God would step into this world and transform a life that way. And we invite you to be there. Why? So you can bring that beauty into your life. Don't be too busy. Don't be unaware. Don't be naive. You were created to succeed. Every one of us. None of us have to fail. But our environment, what we value here at Potential, that ethos, who, what kind of attitude, and how much beauty. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have given us the responsibility and the authority for our environment, for the people that we allow, open up the door to, for the attitudes that we express and for the beauty that we're intentional to bring in. I pray that we should, that we shall succeed. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here.